835, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We start today's program like we start every program, three big things. Obviously, the dominant story is going to be the testimony of former FBI Director James Comey. He is scheduled to testify in front of a Senate committee uh, beginning slightly after 9 o'clock this morning. As I was saying a couple minutes ago, here's my plan. Uh, We will be carrying the the prepared statement um, by former FBI Director Comey. We'll carry that live. Um, We're going to continue to monitor then the questioning and obviously bring you updates if the questioning brings out more than appears to be contained in the prepared statement. But um, the statement has been released and essentially... Well, I guess if you hate Donald Trump, there are things in it that you could see. If you support Donald Trump, you look at it and you say, okay, there's nothing to see here. Um, The truth is probably somewhere in between. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later. That is part of our three big things. But I think I want to save the Comey discussion until after we have an opportunity to at least hear his prepared remarks. And like I say, that's coming up in, oh, about 20-some minutes or so. So that'll be one of our three big things. Um, We start off the program, though, by what may go down in history as one of the biggest, as it turns out, political miscalculations, perhaps, ever. Um, In the United Kingdom, voters go to the polls today. Um, The way it works in the United Kingdom is that they do not vote directly for a prime minister, like we we vote for a president. What they do is you, you vote for your individual ministers of parliament, your representatives, sort of like we vote for congressmen. And then what happens is the the parties, the leading party, gets to select one of its members to be the prime minister. So it's sort of an indirect type of thing. Sometimes, because in in the United Kingdom, while there's two main parties, there's the Conservative Party, the Tories, and then there's the Labour Party, and the equivalent of sort of the, the Republicans and the Democrats, there's also a number of other smaller parties. And what happens sometimes is either that the Tories or the Liberal Party, um, the Labor Party, won't be able to get enough of a majority. They may have a plurality, but they won't have a majority. And what they'll have to do is they'll have to form a sort of a combined government because they'll have to reach out to one of the smaller parties and include them in this. Well, in any event, what happened in Great Britain, and in Great Britain, in the United Kingdom, one of the interesting things is there are maximum terms that, for example, a prime minister can serve before having to have an election. But they are allowed to call elections early. So there's a huge controversy in the United Kingdom over this whole thing with Brexit, you know, leaving the European Union. And the sitting prime minister, Theresa May, um, made a decision. Right now, she has a slim working majority. She is she's part of the Conservative Party. She's one of the Tories. She has a slim working majority in in Parliament. She made a decision a number of weeks ago to call an election early, because at the time. She was leading in the polls. If you looked at the various polls and you believed them, you know, the conservatives stood to gain lots and lots of seats. And her thinking was, let's strike while the iron is hot. Let's have an election now where it's early. I I don't have to do it. I think she had about another two years if she wanted to. But let's do this now. I will increase the conservative majority, and that will give me an easier chance 
uh, working out the Brexit stuff will be easier if I have you know more of my party, if we have more of a working majority. So she calls this election early. And, and everybody at the time thought, oh, this is going to be a brilliant political move. It, it's great. Well, w- what's happened in the interim is you've had these various terrorist attacks, you know, going on in in London. And I think, you know, you you can make an argument that that some of these terrorist attacks have been at least coordinated to an extent in an effort to try to disrupt the British election. Because, you know, now, I mean, terrorism, it's always on the wavelength. And it's always on the forefront when you're starting to talk about, you know, any sort of election, you know, in, in any free world now, in any free country nowadays. But the fact that you've had several, you've had the bombing at the concert in Manchester, you've had the you know knife attack last week, you've had the attack on the bridge, the London Bridge attack, you've had all these different things, and it's one after another. And what's happened is that the whole question of how has the current government been handling terrorism, and that has apparently led to a lot of people maybe rethinking their voting decisions, believing that perhaps Theresa May might not be able to handle the terrorist question as well as the Labor Party candidate, a guy named Jeremy Corbyn, who's way, way out there. Now, why, why you would think, why you would think that the Labor Party candidate would be better suited to deal with terrorism is beyond me. But nonetheless, people are uncomfortable and they're thinking, okay, we don't like what's going on here. Maybe we need a change. On top of that, there is the Donald Trump effect that is going on as well, because the Labor Party candidate, Jeremy Jeremy Corbyn, has made no bones about the fact that he thinks Trump is not up to the job. And he has been very, very critical of Donald Trump. Lots of people in the United Kingdom are very, very critical of President Trump, more so than Theresa May, who, as the prime minister, realizes that she's got to work with the leader of the free world. So to the extent that she's had issues with Trump, it's been very, very muted, whereas some of the other people have been vocally you know, complaining about Trump. So you've got the anti-Trump settlement sentiment that is working against her. You've got the concerns about terrorism that are working against her. And you've got, again, if you believe the polls, and that's a big if, pollsters missed the U.S. election, they missed the Brexit election pretty badly, but all the indications are, if you believe the polls, that this race, which appeared to be a walk in the park um, a few weeks ago, now has become extremely close to the point that not only might Theresa May not pick up seats for her party, but actually that they might lose control of the government. I don't think that's going to happen. But it's fascinating to watch, and Londoners are, and you, people in the United Kingdom are going to the polls. And again, we're not going to know the results for a little while because it's it's not a national election. It's a who won in each individual district and how does all, that all shape up. But this is big story number one. And depending on how this goes, it could have a lot to say about the relationship between the United Kingdom and the United States moving forward. Because like I say, the Labor Party uh, candidate, the person who would become prime minister, if somehow the Labor Party were to gain a majority of the votes, Jeremy Corbyn has made it very, very clear that he has no use for President Trump and what that would do to the special relationship that the U.S. has with Great Britain very much up in the air. 
very much up in the air. So we're going to be monitoring that again. London, or the United Kingdom, several hours ahead of us, but I don't know that we're going to have any definitive answers at least in the next few hours. Big story number one. Watch what is going on in the United Kingdom. It could have huge implications moving forward for relationships between Great Britain and the United States. It's 847, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Our classic free ride makes a pit stop in West Dallas tomorrow. Joins Cafidi and Billstead as they broadcast live from noon to 3 at Here, Wisconsin. H-E-A-R. Here, Wisconsin, on 102nd and National Avenue. Register to win the stunning 1968 Valenti Oldsmobile 442 convertible and tickets to see Paul Simon perform at Summerfest later this month. That is tomorrow from noon to 3 at Here, Wisconsin, on 102nd and National in West Dallas. It's the WTMJ Classic Free Ride, sponsored by New Mail Medical in Wauwatosa and Summerfest. Big story number two. All right. Pay attention. I come this way but once. Another chance for the public to weigh in and to say, just say no to this crazy, crazy plan that has been initiated by the bus company and the county to tear up lanes of traffic between downtown and the medical college and put in a $45 million, quote unquote, rapid bus transit project. All right. Now, the, the one thing that might stop this cockamamie idea is that in, before you can do it, they, they need it's going to cost millions of dollars to the county to operate the thing. But before you can even start the construction, you need to get federal grants to pay for the construction. And hopefully, hopefully people in the federal government will recognize what a bad idea this is and will just say no to the quote-unquote rapid bus line. But if you haven't been following this, and there's hearings um, uh, tonight – uh, there's going to be public hearings where the the county and see this is a done this is Abley's project the po- folks at the bus company want this they're going to be rolling this out and I, I think the public can look at it I'm not sure that there's much the public can do other than show up and say this is absolutely crazy what they want to do and we've talked about this before is they want to tear up traffic lanes on Wisconsin Avenue and on Blue Mound Road, take away driving lanes to put in dedicated bus lanes that will make, they call it this bus rapid transit. So it will reduce by a few minutes the time it takes if you want to ride a bus from downtown Milwaukee out to the medical college or vice versa. So it makes it theoretically easier and a little bit faster because these dedicated lanes, the buses don't have to weave in and out of traffic. The problem is that you take away lanes of traffic. So it becomes, if, if you've ever driven that route, and I know a, a lot of you, you probably have from time to time, you understand that it's already, it is already an incredibly time-consuming ride. Can you imagine what will happen if you take away lanes of traffic? Can you imagine what will happen to businesses in the area if you take away parking lanes, which are, that's what the plan is to do, all to gain a few minutes on a faster bus ride? Now, there is this projection that is being floated around, which to me, 
Well, let, let me put it like this. Hondo, I will bet you all the money in my wallet versus all the money in yours, and I, my guess is today there's probably more money in mine, that these projections are off by at least 5,000. They claim, they claim that if you put in, if you take away the lanes of traffic and you put in the, these rapid bus things, so you knock a few minutes off the trip, that they will be able to increase bus ridership along this route by Almost 9,000 passengers a day. A day. Um, Now, maybe the idea is they're going to make it so difficult for people to drive that they'll have no choice but to drive their car, walk to one of the areas where you get on the bus, and and then take it. So maybe that's the plan, that you're going to make traffic congestion so very, very bad that you'll have no choice to get on the bus. But in any event, there's you know public hearings tonight about you know where they're going to put the seven or eight or nine different bus uh, stops that they are going to have along the way. Our number four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I just to me this is one of these things. It's like Tom Barrett's trolley. I cannot believe anybody thinks that this is a good idea. Now, I understand that you've got some people who are the the heavy mass transit people who hate automobiles and want to get people out of their cars and want to force them out of the cars. But, I mean, seriously, you are going to take away two lanes of traffic, which will dramatically increase traffic congestion. It will make it very, very difficult for a lot of the businesses on this route for people to, again, be able to, to get into those businesses. And, and it's based on this projection that you're going to have seven to 9,000 more riders a day. I, I mean, I wonder what drugs these people are taking because, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe they're good drugs. Um, Tim in Milwaukee. Tim, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Tim. Tim, Tim, Tim. Okay, let's try. Four. Oh, go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, yeah, Chris Abley is looking to get himself out of a job. That's just incredibly stupid to waste that kind of money on something like that. Well, and, you know, and, we have, right, yeah, number one, waste the money, and number two, inconvenience so many different, you uh, know, riders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. It's, 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 I, I, can't, I, I can't even believe this is an issue. It's so dumb. It, it is. It really is. It is. No, thank you. It is. It is staggeringly stupid. And it's the cost is $45 million. And like I say, that the, the county is going to be going with its hands out to the federal government applying for grants. And I, I guess because you hate to say this, but you're hoping that the federal government has more common sense than we have here, you know, apparently in Milwaukee County. And if we say no, that this thing gets killed. And, and that should be – this is easy. This is an easy way to save $45 million. This is a bad idea. And by the way, it only shaves a few minutes off the ultimate transportation. Do you mean to tell me that all of a sudden people are going to say, well, gee, I, I can, you know, I can save six or seven or eight minutes or whatever it's going to be. So now I'm going to suddenly ride the bus? Give me a break. Let's talk to Joan and Franklin. Joan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yeah, I, I said to your, your uh, screener, <laughs> um, I'd like a show of hands. How many people from downtown Milwaukee want to go to the medical complex? Now, look at, look at the route. Blue Mound Road, Wisconsin Avenue, that's Wauwatosa. Right. People do not need to ride the bus to get to the medical complex in Wauwatosa. 
Right. That's well, ridiculous. Well, well right. And, and then what – okay. All right. I, I spent – unfortunately, over the last year or two, um, I, I spent more time than I wanted to out, out at the medical complex. Okay. I live in the North Shore. What am I going to do? Do you mean to tell me that I'm going to take my, you know, wife who's getting – my late wife who's getting treatments for cancer, I'm going to take – I'm going to drive, what, downtown, try to find some place within a few blocks – right, find a place to park – Walk a few blocks, get on a bus, and take it out to the medical complex. Nobody is going to do that. Nobody is going to do it. It's just Amen. flat crazy. Amen. Jim. Right, right. I mean, and it just and 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 again, the, the mayor of Wauwatosa signed off on this, and you wonder, you know, what was she thinking along the way? Now, look, I understand everybody wants to jump on this. We need mass transit. We need need mass transit. All right, but but smart mass transit, smart mass transit. Not this idea. Here's what's really going on. This is a stalking horse for this giant plan that Barrett and Abley have to try to create light rail all over all over the county. The idea that we're going to spend billions of dollars, B as in billions, and I mean that, to try to do this. Well, we have the dedicated bus line in. Now here's what we're going to do. We've already taken care of this. The roads don't, the lanes are gone. Now let's just continue to run these streetcar tracks out there. Michael in Waukesha. Michael, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Well, Jeff, you're absolutely right about creating more congestion. We have some liberal loons out here in Waukesha that have decided that when streets get fixed, apparently it's federal money, when streets get fixed, that we need to put in bike lanes. Right, yeah. <laughs> so instead of having two lanes of automobile traffic, now we have a bike lane, which no one uses, and a big backup in every line yep. of, of automobile traffic at every stoplight. Yep. And still, I see the loons on their bicycles. They're riding on the <laughs> sidewalk, or they're right. riding outside the lines because they don't want to ride where there's bumps in the concrete. Right. They want to ride on the smooth blacktop. So the whole idea is loony. Well, it is. And just imagine what's going to happen when, okay, we, we, we're in this period of, of constant freeway construction. All right, that's, that route is, is the major alternative route that cars use to get from downtown out to, to Waukesha, for example. So now we're going to take away two of the lanes of traffic. Can you imagine what's going to happen when, again, you've got the inevitable freeway construction, or let's say they go ahead with the idea of trying to expand the freeway lanes from uh, the Marquette Interchange out to Miller Park. Can you imagine what that's going to do? Because a lot of people are going to divert themselves onto these other options. I'm telling you, look, I understand reasonable people can disagree about certain things. This is something that no reasonable person should support. Um, I understand, oh, it's mass transit. Well, okay, there's decent mass transit and there's stupid mass transit. This is stupid mass transit. It's 857. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 10.09. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right, let's open up the phone lines. The Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line, 414-799-1620. Former FBI Director James Comey issued a, a statement yesterday. We, we've heard a good portion of his testimony so far over the course of the last hour. Here, here's what's coming out of this. He was clearly uncomfortable with the President of the United States, Donald Trump, he did not believe that the president would be truthful about various encounters that he had had, so he started taking notes, documenting the, the things. Um, he believes firmly that the Russians tried to meddle in the last election. He believes firmly that there was no evidence that they were able to succeed in doing this. Uh, at the time he left, he doesn't believe there was any evidence indicating that the president was directly involved um, in the, the meddling that Russia was doing. Um, 
the key thing now, I think, perhaps, is the concentration that people are having on obstruction of justice. The, the allegations about potential obstruction of justice are various meetings that he had with President Trump, where President Trump got him off by himself and told him that, that first of all, he, he'd like he'd like Comey to come out and be more aggressive and publicly clearing him and saying there's nothing involved and there's no evidence that I've been involved in this. And also these allegations that he said, well, you know, Mike Flynn, he's, he's a good guy. And, you know, Comey said he, he took that as the president expressing his opinion that he'd like this thing to go away. There's no there's no suggestion that he was told that he had to drop the investigation. 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Here's what I make of this. And this is probably going to disappoint everybody. I, I don't hear obstruction of justice in, in any of this. That's a, a very specific crime that requires different elements that I'm I, I'm just not, not hearing. Um, you know, the president saying, hey, th- this guy's a, a good guy and i'd like this to go away i don't think that rises to the level of obstruction of justice it's not like he said all right here we're we're going to you know kill this investigation keep in mind the president could have always pardoned um you know michael flynn for example if he wanted to do that um i'm not hearing obstruction of justice i am hearing what i think is is candidly unseemly behavior And, and there's just there's there's no way to explain it. what what I think is going on is I think President Trump, at least in his contacts with James Comey, refused to just didn't recognize the difference between being the, the CEO of of a closely held company where you call all the shots and being the president of the United States. You know, if if you're the CEO of a company and you have a subordinate who's engaging in, you know, who, who's pursuing a deal. Hey, I, I'm, I'm working on this deal with China or whatever. You know, and you're the boss. You can call him in and you can say, I, I don't think this is the way to go. I want you to knock it off. All right, that, that's fine if you're the CEO of a company. When you are the president of the United States and you have people who work as, let's say, the FBI director, for example, I mean, they, they have, right, they, they serve at the pleasure of the president. But they also they they serve the Constitution. They have their own independent job, and that's why I, I think this was Trump's bull in a china shop way of doing business. That candidly, I, I think is unseemly. Do I think it is a crime? No, haven't heard anything that suggests it's a crime. And I think most most legal scholars, you know, on the, both the left and the right are looking at this most, not all, and saying, now, this is an obstruction of justice. But again, it's it's unseemly. 414-799-1620. All right, your reaction to all this, I'm getting a couple emails from people who are saying, oh, there's just nothing to this. This this Comey is a whiner. And I'm also getting emails saying, oh, this is Watergate on steroids. I mean, this is the basis for impeachment. Um, actually, I think the truth is somewhere in between. Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, Vincent. You know, it, it's riveting testimony, but only thing, it's, it, it, it doesn't rise to obstruction of justice. But it continues, he shows for the last six months, this drip, 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 that uh, President, uh, President Trump, you know, his political naive, naivete. The fact is, he just he, he it, it, it clearly shows that he's unnerved about people investigate. You know, having right. an investigation that maybe surrounds him and his in his, his cabinet. But the fact is, is that he 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 just shows that he just not presidential. He doesn't know, 
know, know the situation that he's in. Right. So when, 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 and, and this has been going on for six months. The fact is that when you, you know, after he fired Comey, then comes up and tweets and says, you better not have any tapes of our conversation. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you know, well, 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 you know, it's like very suspicious. And so, so, so then people have all these thoughts about it. But the fact is, it's, it's, it doesn't rise to any impeachment movement or anything like that. But, but it is unseemly. You would agree it, with me. It is yeah. very unseemly for a president to go through. It doesn't know the political protocols of, of, of separation between him and, and especially people in uh, like uh, Comey. But the fact is, it, it, it just this is a continuous thing with this president that shows that he's just not ready for prime time. And 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 I don't know how long how long the American people can last. You know, right. going through this. Right. No, I think, you know, you're, you're on to something. It's interesting. I'm looking at this piece that Alan Dershowitz, who is constitutional law professor, he's on the talking hit shows all the time, and he's a big lefty. You know, he, he's saying, look, um, this, you know, this you have to understand throughout American history, you know, from Adams to Jefferson to Lincoln to Roosevelt to Kennedy to Obama, presidents have directed, not merely requested, the Justice Department to investigate, prosecute, or not prosecute specific individuals or categories of individuals. He said that's that has been, you know, going on, you know, forever. As a matter of constitutional law, a president can direct the attorney general and his subordinate, the director of the FBI, tell him what to do, whom to prosecute, whom not to prosecute. The president has the constitutional authority to stop the investigation of any person simply by pardoning him. That's the point that I was trying to make. But at, at the same time, um, th- that's that's the constitutional power that the president has. This this does not there's i'm not hearing anything that rises to the the level of an impeachable offense or a crime of obstruction of justice keep in mind again the president could pardon him what this is is a president who in some cases i'm sorry is, is not ready for prime time by calling the director of the fbi in and trying to single him out and trying to suggest the direction of an investigation i continue to believe what really happened here is president trump believes that the people who work inside the government should treat him with the same degree of loyalty that he would believe that people who work for Trump properties treat him. And, you know, and again, if you're the, the CEO of a private company, you can make these demands. If you are the president of the United States, you have to recognize that, yes, you can expect people to be loyal, but they also have independent jobs that they are supposed to do. When you become the director of the FBI or, you know, you get sworn in to be an assistant U.S. attorney, you take a certain oath of office. Again, I'm not hearing obstruction of justice. How damaging is this, though, to President Trump? 414-799-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Will this have long-term ramifications, or, again, is this much ado about nothing? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think it's going to have long-term ramifications, but I do think it's, it's embarrassing. And candidly, I'm a little bit curious as to how President Trump is going to respond. At least so far, I, I'm not seeing 
any live tweeting or anything like that, but you know that that's probably going to happen. 414-799-1620. How damaging is this? Let's say on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being a complete nothing burger, 10 being, okay, now the impeachment train is going to start rolling. We continue the conversation. If you're on the line, please hold on. 1018, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 1020, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, this is on our text line. The president asked Director Comey to shut down the Flynn investigation. Maybe that isn't obstruction. When he didn't, he fired him. That is obstruction of justice. No, it's not. I mean, it, it, it's it's not. If he, he can fire the director of the FBI for perceived lack of loyalty or whatever, the, the investigation continues. I mean, that the fact that the president removed somebody, it might be unseemly, it might be bad judgment, it might be bad optics, but all right, you know, you, you remove somebody. It's not like the investigation does not continue. It's not like, and, and the point Alan Dershowitz makes, too, is when it comes to obstruction of justice with presidents, okay, is it obstruction of justice if he just comes out and pardons Flynn? I mean, no. The answer would would be no. Again, I I don't think there's anything here that's obstruction of justice. Having said that, as a former federal prosecutor, it it is to me it is unseemly that the president. I just think you know this is the problem when you have you know presidents who decide that they're going to you know be updated and try to mingle in and express their opinions on ongoing investigations. Bart and Mequon. Bart, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, thank you for taking my call. I don't see it as a high crime and dis- or misdemeanor. Um, I don't see it as obstruction of justice. I see it as a very bad error in judgment to the American people. I think he's got to recognize that this is not Trump Industries, the government, and the although the Congress is controlled by Republicans, now he's got his person on the court. I think he uh, feels that uh, he could run this like Trump Industries. You're right, and, and, and you can't, and it's a different. No, it's you just can't. A, it's right. It's right. At Trump Industries, you know, you you're you're the boss, and you can pretty much do what you want as long as you you know don't do something that is uh, blatantly illegal. But right, as the president, it, it's a different sort of it's a different sort of situation. No question about it. And I and I this has got to be to the American people. He's overstepping his bounds. Well, I mean, thank, right. Well, I mean, I, I see. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I agree. It's just, again, it, it's it is unseemly, and that's. I, I don't. I certainly don't think it's criminal. I don't think it's impeachable. But it's, it is. It's unseemly, and as I keep coming back to, it is a distraction. Here, here's the things that I care about. I, I mean, obviously, if the Russians are trying to mix in and mess in with our election process, that's a big deal. And I think we need to figure out what they did and how we can stop them from doing that. All right, so I appreciate that. But big picture here, I mean, I here's what I care about. I care about health care. I care about taxes. I care more and more on a daily basis about making sure that we're safe from terrorism that's affecting the entire world. I mean, th- those are the issues. This, to me, in many respects, is a sideshow. And unfortunately, President Trump has managed to continue to allow this sideshow to go on by – you know, having these confrontations with the FBI, former FBI director. And I look, I have no problems with with him firing Comey. I, I, I don't. They serve at the pleasure of the president. Clearly, they he did not trust Comey. Clearly, Comey did not trust him. And if you 
If you have to work with somebody and you don't have a, a decent relationship for whatever reasons, I, I mean, I understand where if you're the boss, you want to move on. But, again, the optics, very, very bad. James on the north side. James, you're on 620 WTMJ. Hey, how you doing? Real well, thank you. What do you think? I think that this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is a bigger problem than this. I mean, I understand how you will pro- probably want your friend to not be prosecuted for something small or whatever if you have the power to stop it, but you're the president. And my only point, being a Democrat, is to everybody, to the nation, is this the face that we want to represent the United States? We're the United States. We stand strong. We're, we're, we, we are the ones on top. Is this the face that we want for the United States? I mean, right now, it's a terrible look. First hundred days, nothing but scandal. I watch scandal sometimes, and I wonder if the B-16 <laughs> or the B-17 is going to pop up somewhere. I mean, I, I mean, it's just watching scandal and seeing this unfold in reality, it's, it's, just, it's just crazy to me. And my only thing is we have plenty other great candidates to represent the United States. And Donald Trump, great businessman, as far as the president, Nah, he's not the face that I want to represent the United States right now. Well, this is just the tip of the iceberg. I believe it's a lot more to do with this. Taking outside my scandal watching, I just believe that the Russians had a lot more. You want back channels with the Russians? And, I mean... Well, I guess it'll be... Not, I mean, Jim, I mean, look, I mean... I mean, when, when we talk about back channels, I mean, but here's here's the thing. I mean, I, I watch some of this. If if you're the president-elect and you're getting ready to put your government in place, I mean, I I don't think it is treasonous. I don't think it's illegal to, you know, reach out to other world leaders to say, hey, six weeks from now, I'm going to be in charge. Let, let's figure out what our relationship is going to be. To me, that's not impeachable. That's, that's not a, a crime either. And, and people... Other presidents have done that on a regular basis. I mean, maybe there's other shoes to drop. That's entirely possible. I'm just not seeing that evidence now. I think, again, what you're seeing here basically is a failure of style more than a failure of substance. But the failure of style is so significant that it creates distractions, and those distractions pose a problem. It's 1026. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1028, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Can the division-leading Brewers round out a winning homestand? Find out this afternoon as they battle the San Francisco Giants in the finality of their series. Bob and Jeff begin coverage of the matinee at 1235, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. 79 degrees at our studio today. This would be, if if you have the chance to play hooky, um, this would be the ideal day to go catch a ball game. You know, the roof is going to be wide open. It's going to be temperatures in the 70s, maybe the 80s, low 80s. It's going to be just a perfect day for baseball. Brewers are playing good baseball. They're back in first place. Um, ah, this would be one of those days if you wanted to sneak out. You've got permission from Dr. Jeff to do it. Um, coming up in the next half hour, we're going to move on from what's going on in Washington. Again, we're going to continue to monitor the, the statements, but I, I think you get a, a general idea, and I think we get a general idea of what's going on there. Clearly, there was not a good relationship between the former FBI director and the, the new president. I think um, the FBI director felt uncomfortable. The president wanted loyalty like he would expect in the private sector, and uh, the former FBI director was uncomfortable in giving it. There were these various, you know, it, it's not obstruction of justice. I'm just, I understand that there's people out there who, you know, want to see this and hate Trump and just want to believe it. This 
in my opinion, is not close to obstruction of justice. At the same time, it, it does, I, I think it is a distraction. I think the president needs to learn from this, and I hope he's able to stay off the, the Twitter feeds and, and how long that's going to be, because the truth of the matter is that if he decides to start tweeting about this, He's going to make this a third and fourth day story. So I hope he stays off it. Um, coming up in just a couple minutes, Governor Walker talks more toll roads. We'll discuss. It's 1036. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The WTMJ Classic Free Ride makes a pit stop in West Dallas tomorrow. Join Scafidi and Bill Stat as they broadcast live from noon to 3 at here wisconsin on 102nd and national avenue register to win the stunning 1968 valenti oldsmobile 442 convertible and and tickets to see paul simon perform at summerfest later this month that's tomorrow from noon until 3 at here wisconsin that's on 102nd and national in west dallas it's the wtmj classic free ride and it's sponsored by new mail medical in tosa and in summerfest at summerfest i um Channel 4 picked up the story yesterday. Actually, um, a listener sent me some photos of this, and I guess the word I would use is ironic. We are about ready. We are in the process, we being the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee, coupled with all the rest of us who have contributed federal money. We are in the process of spending $120 what, million dollars to put in this new Tom's Trolley Folly, the little streetcar that's going to run the 2.1-mile route between the bus depot and the lower east side. And, of course, Barrett has these grandiose plans of spending hundreds of millions, probably billions of dollars, to run the trolley all over. Um, anyways, what one of the, my listeners was, was walking down the area, and they're starting to tear up, you know, downtown. If you're trying to drive around downtown, particularly east of the river, good luck because they're, they're just tearing it up to put in the, the streetcar tracks. Well, interestingly, what they are finding is they are digging up the street to move utility lines and to put in the streetcar tracks is that they are finding other streetcar tracks. They are finding, uh, okay, the, the last streetcar rolled down the tracks in 1958, and a lot of the tracks were apparently never removed because they they couldn't they, they couldn't decide on who was going to pay for them. The rail operator didn't want to take it out. Didn't want to pay for it. The city didn't want to pay for it. So classic classic Milwaukee. You know, Hondo says nothing much has changed. So instead of you know just taking them out, what they ended up doing is that they ended up paving over the lines and then just kind of like continuing to build over them as there was road construction. So now you have these old streetcar lines that are, are, are still there, the, the rails and things like that. And as they're digging up the, the street, they're, they're finding these streetcar lines. Now, I say this is – now, some people look at this and some of the advocates for the streetcar say, oh, this is incredible. This, this shows how, you know, we, we have the old technology that's meeting the new technology. no. No, no, no. It's still, it's all old technology. This, this demonstrates how ridiculous Tom's Trolley Folly is. All right, this was technology. All right, this was something from the you know, 1800s and the mid-1900s. All right, they haven't used streetcars since 1958. They abandoned it in 1958. Why in God's green earth would anybody 
think that it is a good idea to take, take, take technology that we essentially, and ways of transporting people that we abandoned in the 1950s because it wasn't working, it wasn't attracting attention, it wasn't doing the job, and now we're going to spend $120 million to bring back that 19th and 20th century, mid-20th century technology? Wow. Um, it's just, it's, it's like history repeats itself, and unfortunately... We have learned nothing. And again, I, I, I predict this 10 years from now, 15 years from now, after this entire Tom's Trolley Folly has gone on, after the streetcars are not carrying anybody, long after Tom Barrett is no longer the mayor of the city of Milwaukee, people are going to look back uh, just like they are doing in other cities and go, what were we possibly thinking? All right, as long as we are talking about transportation, there is a huge issue going on with how do we pay for the transportation budget. We've talked about this program on this program before. Roads need to be built. Roads need to be maintained. There is a shortfall in the budget. Assembly Republicans are looking at increasing taxes to do it. That isn't going to happen. It, it just is a flat matter. It's, it's not going to happen, but for a variety of reasons, they're pushing various schemes to try to raise taxes to do this, all right? Not going to happen at least right now, maybe five years from now, maybe 10 years from now, but it, it's you're not going to see an increase as long as uh, taxes as long as Scott Walker is the governor. But Assembly Republicans are sort of tilting at windmills, trying to find you know ways to, to generate more money. One of the ideas that continues to be floated around is is the idea of turning some Wisconsin roads into toll roads. Now, Governor Walker has opened this door a, a crack. Um, yesterday, he said that he you know he laid out the way the story is. He laid out a framework for accepting you know tolling, saying that if we could figure out a way to bring in money from out of state drivers and then use the money to lower gas taxes for state residents, it, it might be good. And his idea is that, okay, it would have to be kind of a dollar-for-dollar exchange. You know, if we're going to put in these toll roads, money generated from the toll roads would have to be offset by gas tax increases. Now, here's, here's the problem, though. The governor apparently said that he could accept tolling if it were limited to access points on the state law particularly on the state line, particularly on the Illinois state line, where tolls are already collected across the the border. And the idea would be we're going to try to catch people from Chicago or Rockford or wherever, you know, coming up to Wisconsin. So we, we want a disproportionate amount of the toll revenue to come from Wisconsin residents. Now, that might sound good. Stick it to the Flatlanders. No offense to you Flatlanders out there. The problem is, with all due respect, I, I think it's blatantly I- illegal. Uh, you have you have the, this thing, you know, called the Commerce Clause, which prohibits states from doing anything to unfairly impact, you know, interstate commerce. And, you know, the legality of toll roads placed just along state borders is... Quite candidly, they say it's an unsettled question, but I think most people who study this issue say you you just can't you you can't do this. Um, if you know if you're going to have toll roads, you pretty much have to have toll roads all over. You can't just put toll roads on the border with the idea that you're going to again capture people from another state. So honestly, 
I, I think it's a non-starter because, at the very least, trust me, you know, if this becomes a reality, you will be in litigation for years and years over something like this. In addition, you've got to get federal approval. In addition, you've got to build the infrastructure. You know, best case scenario, I mean, you're 10, 15, I think 10, 15, 20 years away from ever being able to put in toll roads. That is assuming that they are legal if you only want to do them on the state line. If you wanted to really do it right, make sure that you avoided the litigation that's going to ensue, what you have to do is you have to put toll roads all over. All right, but let's open this up for the question. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I do not believe that toll roads are the way to go. I firmly believe that you can't just put up toll booths at the state line. You're going to have to put up toll booths all over. And do we really want to be paying tolls. Is that the best way to go about transportation funding? And seriously, I mean, if you're going to be driving on the interstate from Milwaukee to Madison or from Milwaukee to Green Bay or vice versa, or I guess from that matter, from, you know, Milwaukee down to Racine or even across the state line, do you want to be paying tolls? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't. And I think it's a non-starter. And candidly, if the idea is only on the border, I think it's blatantly illegal. You might disagree. You might think it shouldn't be. But I think it is. What do you think? It's 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. It's 1045. It's 1048, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Can the division-leading Brewers round out a winning homestand? Um, find out this afternoon as they battle the San Francisco Giants in the finale of their series. Bob and Jeff begin coverage of the matinee, 1235, sponsored by Catholic Financial Life. Governor Walker saying he's open to toll roads if, if, if. If we only locate them down around the state lines, so you're capturing people predominantly from Illinois who want to come in, I just don't I don't think that's constitutional. I, I just don't. There's this commerce clause. Um I, I think you're looking at litigation for years and years and years if you try to do something like that. I think if you're doing toll roads, you pretty much have to do toll roads all over. But regardless, do we want any toll roads in Wisconsin? Dave and O'Connor Dave, you're on six twenty WTMJ. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call, sure. Jeff. Should the um state Rep, uh, legislature here in Wisconsin representatives apply for and receive a federal exemption, it comes with a price tag, and that price tag is they lose interstate highway funds. Right. Well, that that I brought up to, to uh, Senator Kampenga, right. Senator Vukmir, and I've also gotten a letter back. Thank you very much, Mr. Uh, yeah. Congressman <laughs> yeah. Sensenbrenner. Yep. Well, th- that's one part of the problem. I'm also I grew up in northern Wisconsin. I grew up in Eagle River. Do we want to send a message to our neighbors in Minnesota, Michigan, you know, right. or now that I live down here near Milwaukee, that a Cubs fan's got to be treated to the same thing I, I go through when I go through Chicago. Right, right, or that you right, or that if you want, right, it, right, ex- exactly. I mean, what what is the impact? Thanks, thanks for calling. Dave. What is the impact that that is going to have, you know, on tourism and those type of things? And and I understand the argument. Hey, let, let's 
Okay, let's stick it to blank. You know, you're not paying for it. Let's stick it to blank. Well, before people get crazy about the toll roads, like I say, I I come this way but once. Trust me, these commerce clause, the the commerce clause of the Constitution, you know, says that states can't do anything to unfairly impact interstate commerce, and setting up toll roads on borders, and not setting up toll booths and stuff elsewhere, I don't think it's even close. I don't think it's even close, but it, it, maybe I'm wrong. But just understand that that's not an immediate solution that's that's going to occur because this is going to be lit. You've got to apply, like Dave was saying, for a federal exemption. You then lose federal highway money for this. Trust me, you're going to be tied up in litigation on this Commerce Clause issue. If you try to just do it on the borders, you're going to be tied up. That's a case that's destined for the Supreme Court. So how many years is that away? Toll roads are... Regardless of what you think about toll roads, it's not a solution today, tomorrow, the next five years, or the next ten years. It's just not. And so I I think we're kind of spinning our wheels if we discuss these type of things. But just on on principle, assume for the sake of argument that I'm correct and you just can't put toll roads up, you know, at the at the state line because I think I'm pretty sure I am. I mean, do we? Do you want to pay toll? Do you want to have to pay tolls every time that you drive from Milwaukee down to Racine or from Milwaukee to Madison or from Madison to Eau Claire or La Crosse or up to Green Bay? And I think the answer in general is no, even if there is an offset in the gas tax. Let's talk to Matt in Kenosha. Matt, you're at 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hey, um, let's just assume that everything does go through and get passed and magically they're built right away. When do we actually see the benefit of having a toll versus how long it's going to take to pay for the tolls? Um, years. <laughs> yeah, years. <laughs> right, right. Year, years before they, they start paying for themselves. No question about it. Yeah. No, I mean, thanks. I mean, I guess I, that's th- this. I, I mean, the, the idea. Here's what's frustrating me about this current transportation discussion. You know, you, you have Republicans in the assembly who are coming up with one Rube Goldberg scheme after another. Here, let's let's talk about imposing. Let's bring the sale. Let's let's put apply the sales tax to gasoline. Um, okay, just what you need, a 5% sales tax to gasoline. Yeah, we'll knock a penny or two down off the gas tax. But then, of course, when gasoline goes back up to $3 a gallon or three fifty a gallon, you've got that 5% sales tax. We're all going to be paying a lot more out of our pocket. The simple solution right now is exactly what Governor Walker is talking about. They found a bunch of money in the general fund. Put that towards, you know, doing the road work. Okay, do some borrowing. Oh, you're talking about borrowing. Well, everybody borrows, you know. How many people, can I see a show of hands, do you have a mortgage? Well, would you have been able to buy your house if you weren't taking out a mortgage? Well, for most people, you know, the answer is no. There's not a problem with borrowing as long as you do it in a responsible sort of fashion. And I think that's what they're talking about doing right now. But, you know, we, we could solve these problems by, in this case, you know, the governor has got the simple solution, not, again, these different schemes to do it. You know, you can talk about toll roads and you can explore it, but it's not going to happen for decades. And if you're only going to do it at the state line, like I say, it's probably not going to happen at all. Let's get serious. Let's get real. Let's get this budget thing done and let's move on. Hey. Tune in to today's Brewers broadcast for your chance to win free stuff. Yep, free stuff. Go Brewers! This week, win tickets to see Academy Award-winning La La Land. Live in concert at the Riverside on Friday, June 23rd. It's freebie in the 5th on 620 WTMJ. 
You already know about Kessler's miraculous no-small-print warranty. If you bought it at Kessler's, it's guaranteed. It's just that simple. Even if you lose a diamond, including the center stone, we'll replace it. All maintenance is free forever. Yes, it really is that miraculous. But there's one thing that's even better than our warranty, and that's not losing your diamond in the first place. Please, let us check the prongs that hold your diamond. We'll do it quickly, and we'll do it for free. Gold is soft, and a tiny little bit of gold wears off every time you put your hand into your purse or your pocket or your sleeve. We can quickly replace that lost gold and tighten up your diamond. And if you bought your ring at Kessler's, we'll do it for free. Even if you didn't buy your ring at Kessler's, we'll be happy to inspect your ring at no charge. If your ring does need any maintenance, we'll wait until you approve the charges before we do any work. It's never a good thing to lose your diamond. Let us help you make sure you don't. Come to Kessler's. The historic Bosch Tavern was tugged 25 feet farther west, and they're inviting you to lunch today to see the new digs. Incredible lunches. It's slow food fast. Meeting rooms available on Highway 100 in Janesville and Hales Corners. The historic Bosch Tavern. Join them for lunch. Once upon a time, you had a basement, a world full of possibilities, exercise, entertainment, romance, but then sadness seeped in. Clammy, musty, smelly, damp summer sadness, and your basement was lost. Until now, April Air High Capacity Dehumidifiers can remove up to 75% more moisture every day for long-lasting protection from mold, mildew, and odors. Now, with Wi-Fi control, take back your basement with April Air. Trusted solutions for a healthy home. Contact Gross Heating and Air Conditioning in Milwaukee at GrossHeating.com. The 50th edition of Summerfest in Milwaukee is here and everyone is invited. From hip-hoppers to teeny-boppers, punk rockers to folk rockers. There's everything from EDM to R&B, blues rock to bluegrass. It's a little of everything under the sun. The fest that stood the test of time is throwing a party for the ages. Don't miss a beat. Go to Summerfest.com for the full lineup, dates, tickets, and more. Summerfest, presented by American Family Insurance. WTMJ and WTMJ HD Milwaukee is News Radio 620 WTMJ. It's 1057, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in the next hour of the program, the mean streets of Milwaukee continue to get even meaner. Um, the war on sparklers, pop culture corner, and lots more. Now, having said that I think that the governor's idea with, the, with regard to how to pay for roads is, is just 100% spot on, there's another proposal that Governor Walker is advancing that, candidly, while I understand it in theory, I just I think it's a mistake. Uh, Governor Walker um, is apparently they're getting ready to officially ask Donald Trump, the Trump administration, to sign off on the proposal to require um, single adults who are in like Badger Care, Medicaid getting coverage to not only work. I have no problem with able bodied people working, but also submit to drug tests. Now, in theory, I get what the argument is. If you've got people who are in public assistance or public assurance, the the goal is to get them off. Um, And if somebody is, for example, a heavy drug user or something like that, their chances of becoming employed are a lot less. So I, I understand the theory behind it. Here's the problem. Drug testing is extremely expensive. Programs that have done it, both in Wisconsin and statewide, that that do this, this drug testing for people who are getting various forms of public assistance, it catches almost nobody, almost nobody. So you're spending a lot of money 
and you're getting nothing out on the other side of it, or very little. In theory, I understand the whole purpose behind this, but I'm big about cost-benefit analysis. I think there's got to be other ways more effective and more more cost-effective and just better ways to make sure that people who are able-bodied, who are on public assistance or getting public health or whatever, that they that they that they get off the dole and they get to work. But this drug testing, I just don't think it pays for itself. And that's the problem. 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. There's good stuff for your garden at Miner's Garden Center. Like what? Like 20 acres of plants, every tree under the sun, shrubs, evergreens, perennials, annuals, and ground covers, even blooming tropicals for patios. Is that it? Nope, they got knowledgeable people, too. Miner's is filled with nursery experts and dozens of every kind of planting for your yard and garden. Really? They got all that? All that and more. It's gardening from the ground up, a family tradition since 49. Miner's, 76, just north of Good Hope. 1108, this is Jeff Wagner. So, Colleen, you know who the big loser is this morning in the James Comey testimony? Oh, boy. Who okay. would it be? Well, all right. All right. Here, here's, here's my theory. Now, I, I think, you know, de- depending on where you come from politically, you know, Donald Trump might be viewed as a big loser. There's a lot of people who think that, you know, James Comey is a big loser, that he's hurting himself. Unquestionably, the big losers, all these networks that are now stuck in this coverage, um, the, the amount of do- advertising dollars... Now, I, I don't mean to be cynical about this um, because I think it is a newsworthy event, but I've kind of been monitoring it since, well, since at least for the last hour or so, and we're not breaking new ground. It's just, it's, you know, you've got all these different senators on the Intelligence Committee, and each and every one of them, you know, gets their six or eight or ten minutes, and they want to use it because this is being covered. So now we're just, now we're... Okay, Hondo hit the wrong button there. So so now it's just, you know, you're regurgitating all this stuff, and you're not covering any sort of new ground at all. I mean, I think, you know, in the beginning I found it to be kind of interesting, and you wanted to hear his temperament and things like that. But after the first couple questioners, eh, you know, the, the, the newsworthy stuff, there's, there's not going to be any other revelations coming out, at least at this point in time. And the networks are stuck in this. It's and everywhere, so, too. I mean, if you, you can see live feeds on Twitter, on Facebook. Right. It's it's going to be on for well, as long as it takes. Well, well exactly, because they're now stuck in it. But for all the cable networks or ABC or NBC or CBS, um, you're, you're losing revenue. I mm-hmm. mean, you're losing revenue. Now, the one thing is, it's prob- my understanding is, and he's looking tired. I mean, he's kind of like wear- wearing down, I think. Um, one of the, they're going to go into special sessions. So it, it will, it won't be an all day thing. And, and that's good because um, there is one thing. Now, we work in radio, but this, let me give you one piece of advice around here. You don't want to mess with days of our lives. I'm just telling you, if this, if this was still going on when days of our lives is scheduled to air on Channel 4, the worst job in Milwaukee today, it's not the guy driving around in 80-degree heat cleaning out the porta-potties. It's not the person digging stuff out of the deep tunnel. Uh-uh. The worst job in Milwaukee, if this is still going on, is the poor lady who sits and answers phones at our reception desk. Because when days of our lives gets delayed, I am telling you, I'm telling you, you, you know, you, you, you know I, I think sometimes I get nasty email. It's nothing compared to what happened. Oh, I can't believe you're preempting days of our lives for this stuff. So, um... <laughs> just got it. But these networks, you know, they're just they've got to be going nuts because they're losing millions of dollars of advertising revenue for this and and candidly, 
they, they've stopped kind of, uh, I, I think, the, the newsworthy nature. He's not going to say anything different than he said. I mean, it was newsworthy in the beginning, but um, I think it's pretty much done. All right. Uh, here's the deal. Seymour, Wisconsin. As long as you're still here, Colleen. Seymour, you know, it's the home of the hamburger. I did not know that. Seymour, Wisconsin. It was invented there. Yes. Ooh. Kind of. Out, and, and actually, I have a, I have a, I have, okay, here, here's the deal. The woman, my, my girlfriend. Just be simple. My, I still wrestle with boyfriend and girlfriend when you're my age, but my girlfriend. <laughs> my girlfriend, her, okay, her daughter, okay, so we're talking about my girlfriend's daughter, Fran's daughter, her mother-in-law and father-in-law are from Seymour. And every year they have this big hamburger festival at Seymour, and um, the the the, the couple, Jim and Nancy, they're they're he he, he makes the, they make this giant burger. He's the guy responsible for for making the burger. It's the really burger, very, the burger, you know, right? Because they make this like giant burger. It's very. Oh, it's, I was okay. listening to all these stories. It's 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 very very cool. I have never been to the hamburger festival in Seymour, but I'm you know now that I've got now that I've now that I've got an in now that I know people up there, I, I think I, I've got to absolutely um, I got to check it out now. I, I go off on this little side trip because um, there's a new list out. Matter of fact, the Journal Sentinel has this story out. Um, there are three restaurants in Milwaukee who have made the list of the top 100 burgers in the nation. And when you think of all the different places that make burgers, I mean, that's quite something. Um, Cops, Cops number 33, that's the highest of the different burger places on the list. Um, Sally's, right kind of down the street from where we are. Um, and, and by way of disclosure, I've been going to Sally's since I was a kid growing up in Glendale. The owner of Sally's, his wife uh, was my secretary, um, my administrative assistant, back in the day when I practiced law. And I just, I always loved Sally's. You go to Sally's, there's a picture of me up on the wall, as a matter of fact. And I'm, it's not under the category of people that skipped out without paying. It's no, it, it, I'm up on the wall at Sally's. And then uh, the night owl which is just a, a great place as well. Their jumbo cheeseburger ranked uh, 70th. So Solly's number 89, the uh, Night Owl's jumbo cheeseburger ranked 70th. Cops, they all made the list. That's pretty darn impressive when you think about, you know, all the different places that are out there. So congratulations to all of those. And, and actually, um, there's a lot of other great places to get a burger that probably didn't make that list. But that's pretty cool. All right, coming up next. Uh, the mean streets of Milwaukee continue to get meaner. Stick around. It's 1114, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1117, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We start off the program today like we start off every program with three big things. And big thing number one, I understand that people are either bored out of their minds or riveted by what's going on in Washington with the James Comey testimony. But perhaps a, a bigger thing is what's going on in the United Kingdom. Um, they're, they're having an election, as I, I talked about earlier. The, the prime minister, who is conservative, um, she made a decision to call an election early. She made that decision. And, and what happens is that there's not a fixed election date. You know, uh, prime ministers... There's a maximum term they can serve before they have to have an election, but they can, you know, they, they can call elections when they want. A lot of them do it when they think it's politically opportune. Theresa May, who's the conservative prime minister, and again, in the way it works in the United Kingdom is you don't vote directly for the prime minister like you vote for president. You you elect your minister of parliament, 
and then what happens is, like a congressman, and then the, the ministers of parliament get together and they elevate somebody from you know their party. So it's this, sort of this indirect thing. Um, in any event, uh, Theresa May made the decision that she she had a a narrow margin in parliament. And six weeks ago, the conservatives were riding really high in the polls, and she decided, hey, let's have an election early. We can pick up more seats, and that'll make it easier for me. It'll give me a mandate to do what i got to do with this Brexit thing, getting out of the European Union. Well, what happens is, since then, you've had multiple terror attacks, and people are on edge, you know, in Great Britain, and this has now become an issue, and the lead in the polls was shrinking and shrinking until the most recent polls that have come out that say maybe the surge of the, the liberals, the Labor Party, is kind of, you know, ended. So, you know, I, I'm watching this. You should get election results sometime around 5 o'clock our time, but that is potentially a huge story. And, and the way Donald Trump is perceived overseas plays into that as well, because the leader of the liberal group, the Labor Party, been very, very very anti-Trump and been using that as a as kind of a weapon too. Hey, vote for me. I'm going to stand up to Donald Trump in a way that the conservatives won't. So um, the the numbers should come out about five o'clock. My sense is that the conservatives are, are going to win. Um, whether they're going to pick up the number of seats they thought they were going to, I don't think that that is going to happen. All right, the mean streets of Milwaukee continue to get meaner. Here is according to the Milwaukee Police Department. Between Tuesday evening through yesterday afternoon, 24-hour period, five people, including two teenagers, were shot and wounded. And again, that's this is one of the reasons why I always say when you're looking at homicide numbers, it's, it's sort of a misleading indicator because anytime somebody is shot, they, they could die. The fact that if you get shot and you survive – it's a matter of maybe emergency medicine or it's a matter of luck or something like that. So, I mean, yet you look at the number of homicides, but to me, shootings are a much bigger number because, again, homicides, there's a lot of random factors that, that play into whether you survive a shooting or not. Five people shot. An 18-year-old victim um, suffered non-life-threatening injuries about 6 p.m. Tuesday when shot during a fight in the 800 block of West Summer Street. A 15-year-old victim expected to survive after being shot about 9 p.m. Tuesday on North 36th Street. Two men, ages 24 and 31, seriously wounded after 11.30 a.m. Wednesday by two assailants while sitting in a parked car in the 2900 block of North 21st Street. No, you you didn't mishear me. That was after 11.30 a.m. yesterday morning. So two guys in a parked car. Suffer. They were seriously wounded 11.30 in the morning after a, a shooting. I mean, I'm not even sure you had shootings at 11.30 in the morning in the Wild West. A 46-year-old man suffered injuries not life-threatening after he was shot shortly after noon Wednesday in the 3200 block of North 53rd Street. All victims taken to hospitals, according to police, who are seeking suspects on Wednesday. So I take that to mean that as of at least the time the story that I have in the press release, nobody has been arrested. But, But here you have, again, five shootings. None of them resulted in death, but a couple people seriously wounded. Shootings, again, on the mean streets of Milwaukee in the middle of the day. Um, My guess is some of these were not random, but people were, in fact, targeted. But you have people who are out there, again, solving things with, with guns. And you have the mayor and the police chief remaining 
it's kind of essentially clueless. Oh, we've got this panel that's do we got this blue ribbon commission that's doing the study, and and they're going to come out with all these different ideas. Well, all right, yeah. The, the solution to crime is not another blue ribbon panel to come up with with you know ideas. What it is is recognizing that you have a major criminal element that is on the streets that needs to be gotten off the streets. Now, my guess is, and again, I'm perhaps I don't know how far out on a limb I'm going. My guess is, if the police are able to solve all these shootings. What they will find and catch the people who are responsible for these shootings, what they will find is that the people responsible for the shootings have criminal records, probably lengthy criminal records. They will find that the people who are responsible for the shootings are in most, if not all cases, people who are not legally allowed to possess guns, who nevertheless have guns. Um, it will find people who have lengthy criminal records who probably did very, very little time for whatever they did before. And it's people who have the impulse control of fruit flies who are you know, going around and pulling out guns to resolve whatever dispute there is. Now, you can come out and do all the different blue ribbon commissions and panels that you want, and, and that's fine. But the reality is, and this is the uncomfortable reality, the uncomfortable truth, in the words of Al Gore, for a lot of people and a lot of politicians in the city of Milwaukee. But you have, you have a generation, maybe two generations, of some people who just are criminals. And the bottom line is, if you're going to have a civilized society and safe streets, you need to take those criminals and you need to get them off the streets. And that means you need more prison space. And that needs, means you need judges that are willing to say, all right, you know, you're, you're a felon in possession of a gun. You're going to go to prison. You're going to go to prison for five years. Boom. We're going to get you off the streets. You know, the mayor and the police chief try to, you know, kick the buck down the road by saying, okay, we need tougher laws out of Madison. That's silly. My guess is if they catch any of the people involved in these shootings, you, you will find that you don't need new laws. You will find that there's plenty enough laws to warehouse the people who are responsible for these. But, but they won't be. But, but they won't be because the judges won't do it, the prosecutors won't do it, certain community politicians won't stand for it. I mean, th- this isn't hard. And this idea that, gee, we can look to Madison and figure out that Madison's the responsi- responsible and we need tougher laws. Well, I'm not against tougher laws, but that's not the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem is taking criminals, particularly criminals who have committed multiple crimes and have a history of this, and getting them the heck off the street. And the streets of Milwaukee are never, ever, ever going to be safe until you do that. Just saying. It's 1125. This is Jeff Wagner. <laughs> It's 1127, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Hey, I know um, a lot of stuff going on in the world, but on this segment coming up on Thursdays, we kind of put aside the heavy lifting, and we have a little bit of fun. It's Pop Culture Corner, and Pop Culture Corner, a lot of fun this week, especially with Summerfest getting ready to start really, really soon. Tomorrow, 
dozens of World War II and Korean War veterans are headed to D.C. on a very special honor flight, and we are taking you on the ride every step of the way, from sunrise to sunset. Our very own John McCure, he's going on this flight, um, and he's going to document their journeys with live reports throughout the day. Matter of fact, John's scheduled to join us at 11.07 tomorrow um, here on 620 WTMJ. It's really going to be special. It's our day of honor with Stars and Stripes Honor Flight. It all begins tomorrow morning. Don't miss a moment. How cool is that? And speaking of airlines and trips, I... I appreciate how difficult it is if you're a flight attendant nowadays or, you know, you're a gate agent because, you know, people are rude and everybody's in a hurry. And now the fact that you have some of these airlines who've made some significant missteps with regard to how they've handled passengers, that's sort of, I think, emboldened a lot of other people to, I don't know, be crankier and crankier. But at the same time, every once in a while, you, you can't, I can't lose sight of the fact that airlines just like Donald Trump on occasion, are their own worst enemies. Um, here's the story from a week and a half ago, just breaking out. Um, Frontier Airlines refuses to allow a blind man and his granddaughter on a flight at Tampa. Um, there's a, a guy, he's blind. He's on a 7.15 a.m. flight to Las Vegas, a 44 years old, traveling with his 18-month granddaughter to Las Vegas, where her parents live. They've been on an extended visit in Florida. Frontier Airlines refuses to allow him to board the plane, even though he'd paid for the flight. I frequently fly with my granddaughter and other airlines, and I've flown on Frontier with her before, but they still denied me access. I was denied because I am blind. They told me I was a liability. He had no problem moving through the airport with his granddaughter without any extra assistance, including through a security checkpoint. But when he asked for help getting on the plane once he reached his gate, that's when an airline employee began to question his ability to watch over the young child during the flight. They told him it would be a liability in case of an emergency. They said it was against their corporate policy to allow the blind man to fly. Huh. Okay. I can't tell you how many federal laws that statement just violates in and of itself guy says i would have been fine on the plane usually flight attendants will help me to the bathroom if i need to change her but i can do it myself i was a single dad for 10 years before i got married and then i was a stay-at-home dad i am completely capable (sighs) so frontier decides to not allow this guy to get on the plane violating, like I say, I don't know how many federal laws. Ultimately, this story goes public, and they reschedule his trip to Las Vegas free of charge. And they told him they're working on changing their corporate policies so this doesn't happen again. I don't know that it's a corporate policy. It seems to me it's just flight attendants that aren't paying attention. It's 11.36, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. We're just days away from the Major League Baseball draft, and the Brewers have another top 10 pick. So what's their plan, specific position, or best available player? Matt Pauley speaks to the man with the answers tonight on Brewers Weekly at 8.15. All right, it is 11.36. This is the time of the week. We, we set aside, we stop the heavy lifting. I understand that James Comey has been testifying for a couple hours, and I think 
I'm not sure there's much new ground to be played uh, plowed with that. I, I understand that there's the election in the United Kingdom going on. We should have the results by the end of our day, 5 o'clock or so, know what ended up happening. Understand that crime continues to run rampant in the city of Milwaukee. Well, we have opportunities to talk about that, and we've talked about it extensively today. But this is the segment I, I like to just have a little bit of fun and kind of decompress. It's 82 degrees outside, nice summer-ish morning before the official kind of start of summer. I call this segment Pop Culture Corner. We've been doing it for years. We, we talk about stuff that's, I, I don't know, kind of interesting pop culture things. Sometimes it's movies. Sometimes it's books. Sometimes it's TV. Sometimes it's sports. Sometimes it's food. Actually, the hamburger topic would be a good one. Um, but but today it's it's music. And by the way, we live stream this, and we've just kicked that off. So if you go to Facebook.com slash 620 WTMJ, you can see us in the studio. I'm Got my little fidget spinner here that I've been playing with during the course of the morning. So, um, yeah, it's me and the kids with ADD. We're all you know doing that kind of stuff. You can check it out again. So we live stream Facebook Live, and you can participate that way as well. Um, it's the the Journal Sentinel's been doing a couple interesting stories because we've got Summerfest coming up at the end of the month. And matter of fact, I, I just picked up the tickets to you know some of the Summerfest shows that I'm going to go to. And it's been interesting. They, they, had a, they had a piece in the paper where they break down um, what they think are some of the most memorable Summerfest moments. Um, talking about, for example, the night that George Carlin got arrested for the seven words you can't say in TV or in Milwaukee. And like I've, I've said before, I was about 15 years old. I was in the audience that night. I know everybody claims to have been at the Ice Bowl. I wasn't at the Ice Bowl. I was at Summerfest that night. Nobody knew that George Carlin had been arrested until you heard about it afterwards. You had the uh, Humble Pie riots in 73. I was... I was there that night as well. I remember it was, it was kind of this uncomfortable crowd. I was like 16 or 17 years old, um, 17 years old, maybe 16. And I, I'm looking around, and there's people sitting on the beer tents. That was that was kind of an uncomfortable thing as well. So, I mean, I remember being there, and those were big, those were big um, moments. And they're certainly ones that stick in my mind as, as events. I thought for Pop Culture Corner today, we have talked about, the best concerts that you've been to. And I wanted to do a variation of that with Summerfest coming up because I know I know you, you like to go out. You, If you're like me, you like to see music and things like that. I want to talk about not necessarily the best concert, although that could be this, but I want you to think about your most memorable concert moment. You know, and was there something that happened at a particular show where you just take a step back and go, my gosh, th- well, you still remember it to this, this day. I mean, I'll give you an example. I was in Las Vegas a few months ago. Um, we, we saw um, Rod Stewart. All right, now, candidly, it wasn't the greatest show. He wasn't in the greatest voice. He was struggling, and he, you know, he knew he, he was kind of struggling. And he, he's 72 years old, and you know, Rod Stewart at 72, he's still a good entertainer, but it's not Rod Stewart at, at 22 or 25 or 32. But I will tell you that the thing that saved the show for me was I, I think Maggie May is one of the greatest rock and roll songs ever ever done. It was second last song. He does Maggie May. And I, I mean I just remember watching this and he and the band, they get up, they start walking through the crowd. It was just an incredible concert moment that saved what to me was an otherwise a, an ordinary sort of show. I mean I'm glad I saw Rod Stewart, that's fine. But it was an ordinary uh, if it wasn't for 
the way he performed that classic song and me being able to see it, I would have probably walked out of there saying, okay, well, you know, eh. But it, but it was it was a great concert moment. So 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Most memorable concert moments. And again, maybe that's just the whole most memorable concert. I mean, I understand that. Uh, my advice is when we do these segments, call early because our phone lines tend to jam up. And also, don't overthink it. I mean, typically when I throw this out, you, you get something that pops in your mind. Uh, go with your first instinct. That's my experience. It typically works best. We are, once again, live streaming on Facebook as well, so you can listen on the radio. You can participate via email. You can participate via our text line. And you can also send me notes as I try to multitask on our Facebook Live page. We're back with your calls in just a moment. It's... Uh, 1141 and our number of course 414-799-1620 it's pop culture corner this is jeff wagner 1145 jeff wagner 620 wtmj i knew this would be fun i'll start it off um front row seats alpine valley fleetwood mac and the rumors tour whenever that was 78 or whatever my um oldest and dearest friend screaming at the top of his lungs at stevie nicks stevie i want to have your baby and i swear she heard him and looked at him <laughs> you know it's, it was that moment where you make eye contact um 414-799-1620 is the number let's start with uh, danny in milwaukee danny most memorable concert experience good morning good morning well uh back when the stones were doing the voodoo lounge tour okay uh they were playing at uh, camp randall stadium and i had a gorgeous redhead girlfriend that i was trying to impress so I spent a an absolute fortune on third row center tickets with backstage passes. Okay. And she broke up with me the day before the concert. <laughs> okay. All my all my friends were busy, had to work or do whatever. And I'm like, look, you get to meet the Stones. Come on. Only person that could go with me was my mom. <laughs> so what was really bad was, you know, I'm a musician, and she spent the whole time. Trying to talk Keith Richards into hiring me to play keyboards instead of Chuck LaBelle. <laughs> you took you think okay. You took your mom. Use backstage passes to take your mom to see the Rolling Stones, huh? Um, okay, text message. I got engaged during a sound check by Shinedown after the lead singer called me up on the stage. Then he told the story and dedicated a song to us during the show. That song, I'll Follow You, is going to be our dance this Saturday when we get married. That's Jim in West Bend. How cool is that? Four years ago, another text, four years ago this October, my wife and I were at a Mary Chapin Carpenter concert at River Forest, Illinois. About three-quarters of the way through the show, she disclosed that her father had passed away the prior evening. I think she found it therapeutic to um, continue on. It was one of those concerts, and done in one of those moments, it sends chills down your back, neck, and spine. I think my wife and I will cherish that for years to come. Let's talk to uh, Steve in Glendale. Steve, good morning. Hi, how you doing, Jeff? Real well, thank you. Okay, most memorable concert experience? Well, that would include the whole concert, and that was uh, Glenn Campbell's farewell tour. Okay. Um, and that's, you know, when he shortly after he disclosed that he had Alzheimer's. Right. And there wasn't a dry eye in the house, including mine. Um, right. You know, he had a few lapses, like in between songs, but once he got going, especially with his guitar solos, he was phenomenal. I'll, I'll never forget that. And, and you realize that this was going to be your last chance probably to see him. <laughs> exactly. And I'm not yeah. a big country fan, but he was a crossover, you know, did a lot of stuff with the Beach Boys, a lot of right. sessions. You know, yeah. he was part of the Wrecking Crew, you know. Right. The, oh, yeah. The, the, the Los Angeles studio yeah. musicians. No, thanks. I mean, you know, it's interesting. You should remember, I, um, I'm a big fan of the band, the, the group, you know, that played with, 
you know, Bob Dylan on the basement tapes and things like that. And I mean, I've told this story before. I, I saw Levon Helm, who was the drummer for the band. Um, he played at Potawatomi and he, he was fighting cancer. He passed away two months later. And you, you could just, you, you could tell he was weak, he was frail, but it was still a great show. But part of it was you knew, okay, the, the guy wasn't going to be with us for much longer. Peter in Elkhorn. Peter, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Our ski club was uh, at Summerfest when it first started and for many years. And when I was a 10-year-old boy, I think in 1970, uh, the best way to get back when there was just one yellow tent, right? back, back when um, the best way to get performers to come in, they would come in by the police boat. So we were on the dock ready to go out and ski in our act, dressed up like clowns, and the Jackson 5 came in and parked right on our, our pier. So <laughs> really? I say hi to all, yeah, so I could say hi to all, all the people from uh, the Jackson 5. Wow. And then on top of it, I fell off the dock. <laughs> so, wow, no. The Jackson 5, they, they roll up. How cool is that? Let's talk to Gina in West Dallas. Gina, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call Thanks today. for calling. What do you think? Absolutely. B- best I concert think this moment. This is a great topic. I, you know, it just brings back so many great memories. I have a stack of concert tickets that's 10 inches high from back in the day. Right. So I've seen so many, but one of the most memorable was when I saw Yes in the Round at the arena okay. in the late 70s. They had a, a, a circular stage that came up and it rotated throughout the concert. Right. It was, it was amazing. You know, the sound that they produce is fantastic and it was just something i'll never forget did you did you know it was going to be a show in the round or were you kind of surprised when you went i was and very saw surprised yeah. no i had no idea what the setup was going to be or anything you know and we were in the second row so it was awesome oh there you go that's the memorable experience let's talk to jamie and muskegon jamie you're in 620 wtmj good morning good morning how are you i am well thank you your most memorable concert experience well, it was probably uh, mid to late 70s. I was a teenager, went down to the Riverside to see UFO, and uh, ACDC actually opened up for them. And uh, I remember uh, uh, Bon Scott, mm-hmm. um, Angus Young, getting on Bon Scott's shoulders, and while he was jamming, uh, he walked up the one side, out the doors, and then back down the other side with uh, Angus Young on his shoulders. It was yeah. just, it was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that 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 sounds cool. I'm, matter of fact, I you know I was not at I was not at the show, but one of the legendary Milwaukee concerts is you know where Springsteen was playing what at the Palms is that where it was? And there was the this at the beginning it started his career, and there was the bomb threat. And, you know, so they they had to evacuate the thing, and then the concert resumed like two or three hours later. I was not at that show, but that, of course, was another one where, you know, stuff stuff just happens. Jeff in Fox Point. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. My most memorable happened to me when I was a teenager seeing Robert Plant at Alpine Valley. Okay. Because I had a uh, very rude awakening about what, what could go on at concerts. <laughs> okay. This guy comes up to me, and I can immediately tell there's something wrong with him. Right. He goes, hey, man, you got me, eh? <laughs> and I'm like, I don't understand what you mean. And he starts huh? pointing to his tongue, and then, and then he's like, acid, man. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, no, but thanks for asking. And then as, as, as a kid my age, I was really freaked out, and I could like barely enjoy the concert. So unfortunately, that's my most no, memorable, but definitely not my best. It was. No, thanks for calling. We were at... Um I was in Las Vegas for a Jimmy Buffett show a few years back, and there was a, a woman dancing. We, we, I was on in the floor seats, and there was a woman um, clearly chemically altered 
Um, and I'm talking really chemically altered. You know, dancing on the, on the the seats in front of us, like standing on the chair and dancing around. And I, I just I remember sitting there thinking, the the drugs are going to wear off at, at some point in time. And I, I'm going to be curious as to what happens. Well, about midway through the show, the drugs wore off, and she's just collapsed uncut you go to buffett shows and that's you see that a lot because people not necessarily drugs but people um they, they what we call peak too early you know p-e-a-k you know it's kind of like all right you really can't drink all day if you want to see the eight o'clock show there's <laughs> an alpine valley once there was this guy who was passed out and people were just like putting beads and stuff on him as he's like passed out it's like okay you know come on i mean these tickets are like 150 or 200 bucks i mean if you want to drink yourself senseless Stay home. 414-799-1620. Dan in Appleton. Dan, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Um, Mid-70s, 1975, I think it was, Pink Floyd at Coney Stadium. And um, we're sitting there enjoying the concert, and then I see these three guys who are dressed like beatniks. Right. Now, this is the 70s. Right. Everybody's kind of the hippie thing, you know? Right. Well, these guys got like the plaid jackets on and the goatees. And the beanies, and here they were undercover cops <laughs> arresting people for smoking dope. So right, right. They stood out like a sore thumb. Everybody saw these guys. It was like it was like you guys got to get some more money or something. Right. right. It was kind of like they should have the sign around their neck that say "Narks." In other words, yeah. right? <laughs> I got it. That, thanks, for, I, I, boy. I wish I started this a little bit too late. We, we got a lot of great calls. Mick Jagger's birthday in San Francisco. Uh, Soundgarden in '92 at Stout before they blew up. REO Speedwagon. Yeah. Um. That's the great thing, and see that that's that's what I love about attending events like Summerfest. You never know when one of those special moments is going to develop. 